church family. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm thankful that uh, I get a chance to study God's word with you together. This year we've been studying uh, the good news in four letters. That's been our, our series theme for the year. We've been looking at Galatians, Ephesians now. We're going to look at Philippians and Colossians in the few months to come. But we've been talking about the gospel and we, we've said this before, but the gospel is the power of God to save us from the punishment and the penalty of sin. The gospel of God is the only gospel that can forgive us. It's the only gospel that can create peace with God. It's the only gospel that can create peace within and give us peace with others. But it's not the only gospel. There are lots of gospels out there. Gospel simply just means good news. So there's gospels of success or achievement. That if I, can only, if I can only earn this, if I can do these things, that maybe having this status, this achievement makes me feel whole. Or maybe it's the gospel of morality and religion, that if I can do enough good moral things and be a good moral person, that I can somehow wash the, the sin stain that's within me. There's all kinds of gospels, but again, there's only one gospel that provides forgiveness and freedom and the fullness of joy, and it's the gospel of God that comes to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's important that we get the gospel right, because the gospel that you believe determines the life that you live. So we've been saying every week so far this year, and this is unbelievably important for us because if we get the wrong gospel, then we get everything else wrong. But we have the gospel of God. And what we're doing in the book of Ephesians is looking at this gospel and understanding how the gospel helps us uh, and, and really enables us to see the plans and the purposes that God has for his people. You know, in my life, uh, I would consider myself to be a planner. I like to plan. I like having a structure. Um, maybe, you're, maybe you're like me, but uh, I know that we've all, at one point or another in our lives, we've had a plan for our lives. When I was a little boy, my plan was to play in the NBA. I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. And then I realized uh, that I am five foot seven, and I am short, and I'm round, and I can shoot decent, but I am not nearly good enough or athletic enough to play in the NBA. So that dream was pretty quickly unrealized. Then I made a different plan, and I was going to be a doctor. I was going to go to school. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon, of all things. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. And then I realized, you have to be really, really smart to be a neurosurgeon. I feel like I'm pretty smart, but I'm not that smart. So, uh, and then I also realized I didn't want to go to school for like 30 years. <laughs> so I'm not a neurosurgeon. So I went to college to be a businessman. I wanted to get a, a job where I could wear a suit to work every day. Uh, and now I'm a pastor. And I'm thankful that my plans have failed because God's plan for my life has been so much better than my plan. What I have learned over the years is that uh, I'm not actually a very good planner. I can write out a plan, but I have very little ability, actually almost zero ability, to see that plan all the way through. But that's not who our God is. And what we're going to see in our text this morning is that God has made a plan. And when God makes a plan, he always accomplishes his plan. He never fails in his plan. And what we're talking about here in Ephesians chapter 1, what we're going to talk about this morning and the next two Sundays, we're talking about God's plan of salvation. And we're looking at it through the perspective of what does God's plan of salvation teach us about our God? You know, one of the, the really cool and amazing and sometimes challenging to understand, but also incredibly humbling truths about God is that the God of the Bible is a God who is triune. That he is, he is utterly unlike anything else that we know. That he's a, a God who is triune. And here's a very simple way uh, to, to define what it means that we have a, a triune God. A triune God, he is one God who exists eternally in three persons. God the Father, 
God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's not one God who shows up in three different ways. Uh, there's some people who try to use an illustration uh, like water and ice and steam. But that's what's called, uh, it's a heresy called modalism. And modalism is a heresy because it denies the, the distinct personhood of, of, of each person of the Godhead. That each person of the Godhead is always and eternally God. But then you also go from one side to try to explain it as one God who shows up in three ways to the other side of the spectrum to say, well, maybe he's just three gods. God the Father is one, God the Son is the second, and God the Spirit is the third. The problem with that is that denies the unity of God, of the Godhead, and that's what's called polytheism. So on either side, those are our boundaries, but God's word makes it clear to us that we have one God, we worship one God who is in three persons who are co-equal and co-eternal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I know that for um, most of us, including myself, that is something that's really hard for us to wrap our minds around. But I want to encourage you that that is a good thing. It is right that we can't wrap our minds around God. A finite being, a finite mind should not be able to comprehend fully an infinite God. And though we can't know God fully, we can know God truly as he's revealed himself to us in his word. And so what we're studying this morning is uh, we're looking at how God the Father has revealed himself to us in his planning of our salvation. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 6. And uh, once you get there, if you wouldn't mind, stand with me in honor of God's word. And Miss Lily is going to read our text for us this morning. Go ahead, whenever you're ready. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Lily. You can be seated. So in our text this morning, we're going to make a note of three things, three ways that God the Father has revealed himself to us, that he's blessed us, he's chosen us, and he's adopted us, and he's done so all for his glory. So if you want to take some notes this morning, you can make a note of this first, that God the Father reveals himself as the one who has blessed us with spiritual blessings. God the Father reveals himself as the one who has blessed us with spiritual blessings. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. A few years ago on social media, there was a trend going around. Uh, it was called like hashtag blessed. People were adding that tag to the end of their Facebook posts or the end of their Instagram posts. And it was a way to just celebrate or just rejoice that uh, they had, maybe it was a friend that they hadn't seen in a while and they got together and they had a good time and they laughed. And so they posted a picture that said hashtag blessed. Or maybe somebody um, brought them something or they, they had a really cool success story at work and uh, they just, they called it hashtag blessed. Is a trend, it may still be going on, I don't know, I'm not on social media that much, but um, you, you may be familiar with this, maybe you even posted something like that. It's just a way to celebrate uh, the blessings that you've received in your life. Earlier this year, uh, Holly and I, my wife, got to celebrate a hashtag blessed moment. We brought our son Liam home from the hospital, and we were immediately greeted at the door with uh, six weeks worth of food every other day. We had somebody bringing food to our house, 
uh, bringing us casserole. You name the casserole, we probably had it. We had steaks. We ate dessert every night. I mean, like eating like kings and queens. And when I mean we were hashtag blessed, we were hashtag blessed. We ate great. And the Apostle Paul at the beginning of Ephesians chapter one, verse three, is having one of those hashtag blessed sort of moments. And it's really a blessed moment that all of us who are Christians get to share in together. He says that God the Father has blessed us. This is our first clue in understanding what that blessing is. That he has blessed us means that it's something that has happened to us in the past. It's not a future blessing. It is a past tense blessing. So it's something that he has given this to us. And then he goes on to say he has blessed us in Christ, meaning that Christ is the conduit through which this blessing comes to us. He says he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. What is this spiritual blessing? It's the blessing of redemption. It's the blessing of salvation for everyone who repents of their sin and trusts in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. What's really interesting in this text is that Ephesians chapter one, verse three through 14, in the ancient Greek, it's actually one sentence. In our Bibles, it's broken up in in probably a handful of sentences, maybe a half dozen sentences, but it's actually only one sentence in the Greek. It's 257 words. Fun fact, that's as long as the Gettysburg Address, in case you need a trivia, um, trivia answer. It's 100, I'm sorry, 257 words ascribing to God praise for the blessings that he has given to us inside of our redemption. And we don't have time to cover it today, so we're taking three weeks to cover it. But I want to kind of step back and give us a really broad and big picture of this blessing that he's talking about. So in verse four, he tells us we've been blessed from eternity past, before the foundation of the world. In verse five, we've been blessed by being predestined for adoption as sons and daughters of God. In verse seven, we've been told that we're we're blessed with forgiveness through the shedding of the blood of Christ. In verse nine through 10, this is one of my favorites. We've been blessed with understanding the the knowledge of God's plan for the fullness of time. In other words, we now understand because of Christ what God was doing in the past, what God is currently doing in our lives and what he will continue to do until the Lord Jesus returns. We understand God's plan for the fullness of time. In verse 11, we've been blessed with an inheritance, a home in heaven with Jesus. In verse 13 and 14, we've been blessed with the indwelling spirit of God who fills us and seals us and guarantees our salvation. Again, what the Apostle Paul is talking about this morning is the blessing of redemption, the blessing of being made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But the point I want us to really settle on this morning is the fact that he has given us every spiritual blessing. He's not just given us a spiritual blessing. He has given us every spiritual blessing. He hasn't withheld. He's not been stingy. Uh, There's a lady, a friend of mine shared an illustration with me this week. There's a lady who died at the turn of the 20th century. Her name was Hetty Green. Um, And Hetty Green took a small inheritance and turned it over the course of her lifetime into what is about two and a half billion dollars worth of uh, of value wealth today, in today's time. Um, And she was a a stock trader. So she traded stocks and she was in in the kind of the finance sector in New York City, uh, which was not common for women back in that day. Um, but what she, what she earned herself the reputation for being, uh, partly she was, she was known as the queen of Wall Street, but she was also known as this unbelievably stingy person. She didn't like to spend any of the money that she had. Uh, so there's a couple of different stories. So one of the stories, it says that she refused to pay for hot water. She didn't want to have that bill. Uh, another story uh, said that she, uh, she, when she made breakfast every morning, she used to heat her oatmeal on top of her radiator 
because she didn't want to pay for electricity or uh, to whatever to turn the, the oven on or to cook a fire or something like that. Uh, there's stories about how she wore the same dress to work every single day until it, it had so many holes in it that she had to throw it out. And then she would buy another dress and she would do the exact same with that dress until that one was worn out. But the, the craziest story of it all and really kind of shows, uh, and, and some people say this is true, some people say it's not, but for illustrative purposes, we'll, we'll go with it. But she had a son, and her son was seven years old. He had a sledding accident, and he broke his leg. And the story goes that she refused to pay for, uh, ref- refused to pay for medical uh, help and didn't get his leg set right, and so uh, he ended up having to get his leg amputated. And I thought about that, and I thought, wow, this is a, here's a woman who has the means to bless everybody in the world, Uh, But she chooses to be very stingy, very frugal with her money. And as I thought about it, I wondered how many of us think about God in that same way, that he is willing to give some, but not often, and that when he does give, it's just a small blessing, or maybe it's a physical or material blessing, but we don't think about the spiritual blessings that he has lavished upon us in Christ. But, But please know this, our God is not stingy with his blessing. He is not stingy at all with his blessing. He, he, uh, I love this invitation, Isaiah 55. This is, this is God's invitation into his blessing. Isaiah 55, one, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You know, the gospel message is an invitation into the blessing of God. It's the blessing of salvation that comes to us without price Because before the foundation of the world, God the Father, in conjunction with God the Son and God the Spirit, made a plan to pay the penalty of our sin and pay it in full by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ the Son. It comes to us freely. We get to receive it without price because he paid the cost for it. Our God is not stingy at all with his blessings. So let me encourage you this morning. In the same way that Holly and I reveled in, the, in all of the food that was brought, we enjoyed it, we cherished it, we laughed about it. We had so much that we had to give it away sometimes. Let me encourage you, in the same way that we, we received all those blessings of food that people brought to us, revel in the blessing of God. Revel in his blessing. Cherish it. Love it. Praise it. Share it with other people. Tell them about his goodness and what he's done for you. Our God, again, is not stingy with his blessing. He is gracious. He wants to give it. That's what Isaiah 55 tells us. He wants to give this away. He invites people who have nothing, who can't earn it, who can't pay for it. He invites them to come and receive it. So ask him for it. If you're here in this room this morning and you're not a Christian, you've never repented and trusted in Christ for salvation, let me help you understand. This is, it's not something you have to earn. It's not something you have to do. It's not a 10-step program to to gain salvation. It's simply to receive a gift, a gift of grace, unmerited favor. All you have to do is receive it. He is gracious to give it. He's also generous with his blessing. He lavishes it on us. When the scriptures talk about salvation, they talk about our salvation as being past, present, and future. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. So what, is, what the scriptures are telling us and what God reminds us over and over and over again is that his blessing of salvation covers us from head to toe. There's no past, there's no future, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no decision in the future that you are going to make. There's nothing that you're doing currently that is not covered in an abundance of mercy and grace. Does it mean that we should live in sin? Absolutely not. But what I'm saying is his grace is, he lavishes his blessing on us. We have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved. There is no shortage of blessing in God. Our God is generous 
He is gracious. His well never runs dry. Oftentimes, I think we come to a text and rightfully so, we're looking for an immediate application. We're looking to see like, what's it say? How do I deal with it? Like, how do I put this into my life? And oftentimes it's, an, it's what do I do next? Like a step, something I need to do or something I don't need to do. Really with, with this text, the, the only thing to do is just say, wow, wow, God, thank you so much for this gift because I certainly don't deserve it. And that's gonna be kind of the theme as we go throughout this. It's, God, you are unbelievably good to me. Thank you for your blessing. So this is who our father has revealed himself to be first, that he's a gracious and a generous blesser. But then secondly, this text reveals that God God the Father is the one who's chosen us for transformation. God the Father reveals himself as the one who has chosen us for transformation. We see this in Ephesians chapter one, verse four. That even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You know, I joked earlier that I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. I dreamed of the day that I could go and hear David, uh, David Stern, who was the NBA commissioner when I was a, a little boy, call my name as the first overall pick in the 20-whatever draft, and I get to go up and I get to stand there and put the big uh, baseball hat on, and I get to hold the jersey up and shake his hand and take all the pictures and do all those things. I didn't get to have that moment of being chosen and selected by an NBA basketball team, but I do have the, I've had a couple of experiences where I've understood that what I imagine is a very similar blessing of knowing that I've been chosen for something. The first one was May 26th, 2018. My wife Holly and I stood on the steps of the chapel and we made our, our vows and we, we pledged our faithfulness, our loyalty to each other for the rest of our lives. And I knew that I had way outkicked my punk coverage like a long time before our wedding day. But I remember on our wedding day thinking, oh my goodness, I I am wholly undeserving of being Holly's husband. But to stand there and hear her say, I choose to love you for now and for the rest of my life. I choose to be your wife and I choose you to be my husband. It made me feel like a million bucks because I didn't deserve it. I couldn't, I couldn't have earned it. I certainly didn't earn it, but she chose to love me and she chose me. The second one uh, was just a few weeks ago, February 24th, 2023. Uh, the doctor who delivered our son Liam handed him to me and she said, here you go, dad. And uh, I thought, oh boy, what have I gotten myself into here? Like I don't deserve to be a dad. I'm, I don't even know what it means to be a dad. I still don't really know what it means to be a dad, but here she is and says, this is, he's your son. And to sit there and think, oh my goodness, that the God of the universe chose me to be Liam's dad. It just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And again, once, once again, made me feel like a million bucks to know that of all the people in the world he could have chosen to be Liam's dad, he chose me. And he gave me uh, the opportunity and the privilege of being Liam's dad for the rest of my life. And the rest of his life, like he, he chose me for that. If you've had an experience like either of those or maybe you were selected for a position or selected for a scholarship or something else, you understand the blessing that it is to know that you have been chosen. It is a tremendous blessing. And what the Apostle Paul is doing here in verse four is telling us that if you are a Christian, you have been chosen. You have been chosen by God, handpicked by the high king of heaven. Before the foundation of the world is what he says. Think about that for just a moment. Before creation was ever created, before sin entered the picture in the garden, before 
your mom and dad were ever alive, before your mom and dad ever even thought about having you, that you were chosen before the foundation of the world to be, to be a part of God's family. And again, it's meant to make us feel like a million bucks. It's a, it's a truth that's an antidote to pride because he chose us. It's a truth that's an antidote to shame because he chose us. We didn't earn it. We couldn't have earned it. Despite all the things that we've done and will do, he still chose us. And then lastly, it's, a, it's an antidote to insecurity because he chose us of all the people he could have picked. I think about my own life and think, man, I'm so thankful that God has chosen me. He loves me. And before the foundation of the world, he chose me. And he did for you too, if you are a Christian in this room. And what has God chosen us for? He tells us we've been chosen for transformation. You know, as the college pastor, I get the privilege of uh, spending a lot of time with our college students, helping them make decisions about their life. They, you know, what, what they're going to do for a career. Should I be a teacher? Should I be a doctor? Should I be a lawyer? Who should I marry? Should I marry or date this guy or that girl? Or uh, should I go and live in this city or that city? Or, you know, it's the, the minutiae details of, of the everyday in and out of our life. And sometimes it's hard for us to, to answer those questions because we get so down in the nitty gritty that we forget to take a step back and see what has God revealed to us. Because he hasn't revealed to us if, if you're supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer. He hasn't given that to us in his word. He hasn't told us that, Hunter, you're going to marry this person or that person. He hasn't given that to us in his word. But what he has given to us in his word is who he wants us to become, of what he wants to do in us and what he wants to do in our lives for all of eternity. So if you've ever wondered what God wants for your life, this is it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What God wants to do in your life is what God's goal is for all of human history. A goal, a plan to take a people, to create a people for himself who were sin-stained and guilty and to wash them in the blood of Christ that they might stand before him for all of eternity, holy and blameless in Christ Jesus. That's what God wants to do in your life. And he does it by a number of different ways. He does it by confirmation from the outside and he does it by transformation from the inside. So the scriptures talk about how God conforms us from the outside in. We're gonna read Romans 8, 28 and 29 in just a minute. But God uses the circumstances in our lives to shape us to be more like Christ. This week, um, I've been grieving the, the death of a dear friend. And through this process, I've learned that I had no idea how to grieve. And I still don't really know how to grieve, but I'm grieving. And, and I, understand, I understand now when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus with Martha and Mary and all of Lazarus' buddies, and he wept. I understand what it looks like to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. He is conforming me from my circumstances, using the circumstances of my life to shape me to be more like Christ. But he also is transforming from the inside out. When I think about my life and the way that God has changed me in the, because of the gospel, he's changed my mind. He's, he's made me to think about the world in a very different way. I shared earlier that I went to business school my dad and I, when I was in high school, we began an investment company. And I began to drive around Bowling Green looking for houses that I could buy at a discount, uh, pay somebody to, to fix it up, and then sell at a premium. I wanted to flip houses. I wanted to make money doing that. I, I spent a lot of time looking at the stock market, thinking, like, what's the next Apple? What's the next Google? What's the next stock that I can buy really cheap that will skyrocket and I can be a gazillionaire? And those are good things. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. Those are good things. Those are needed things. But those were my, those, that was the sole focus of my life. All of my effort, all of my energy was focused on, on earthly, temporary 
perspectives. And when God made it very clear to me, Hunter, your life is not to be lived for you, but for me, that you are to be holy and blameless before me, he began to change the way that I thought. And I can't tell you the last time I looked at the stock market, I can't tell you the last time I looked at a house and thought, man, I wonder how cheap I could buy that and how high I could sell it. And again, it's not that those are not important things because they are, but those are, those are earthly things. Those are earthly perspectives. We've got to have an eternal perspective. We've got to start thinking about things from an eternal lens. And so now, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian, every conversation I find myself in, I try to make it a point to get to the gospel. Because what I know about every person is that every person has a soul who, that will live forever. And my responsibility as a Christ follower, again, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, is to do my best to compel people to implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. It's an eternal perspective. He begins to change our minds. He begins to change our hearts. He begins to give us new affections. We begin to love things that we didn't used to love, and we begin to hate things that we used to love. If you're a Christian in this room, you've experienced this in your life with sin. There, there was sin that you used to love. There was sin that you used to indulge yourself in. There was sin that you used to find delight in. There was sin that you used to seek out. And in my life, there was sin in my life. That, 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 all four of those things were true. But then again, God made it very clear to me, Hunter, your life is not to be lived for you. Your life is to be lived that you might be holy and blameless before me. And he began to change my desires and, and he began to, to help me to hate the things that I once loved, to weep at what I once loved and, and to begin to love the things that I once hated. That's what God does in us. He changes, he transforms our mind, he transforms our hearts and it changes the way that we live. This is what God is doing in our lives. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says it like this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. God has a plan for your life. And please make no mistake, God loves you as you are. Faults, flaws, sins, and scars. But he loves you way too much to leave you there. And he just won't do it. He simply will not allow you to live in a life that is not the life that he designed for you. He will not allow you to go throughout your life and not become holy and blameless before him. This is the work that he has promised to do. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you know that this is what God is doing in your life. And you think, boy, I'm a long way off. Because I am. I'm a long way away from being like Christ. I got a lot of conforming that needs to be done in my life and a lot of transforming that still needs to be done in my heart and in my mind. But I have this confidence that what God has planned to do God will accomplish, that he will always accomplish what he has set out to do. And as you experience this work in your life, as you're transformed and you're conformed by God into the image of Christ, you can rejoice in a promise like this. Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This is the confidence for every one of us who's a Christian. It spurs on our practical obedience, our practical holiness, and it gives us confidence to rest at night knowing that if today is my last breath, that I will stand before the Lord God and be completed in Christ Jesus. That I, I will be completely, this work of sanctification will be done in my life. So this is who God has revealed himself to be. He, first, he's the God who has blessed us. He's generously and graciously blessed us. And here we see that God has chosen us He's chosen us to transform us. He loves us too much to allow us to continue to live in our sin. 
And in verse five, we see how this really plays out because God our Father has adopted us. So this is the third truth you can write down, that God the Father reveals himself as the one who has adopted us into his family. He's adopted us into his family. Ephesians chapter one, uh, verse five says this, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons or daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I remember the first time I read this passage in my mind, it was like laser focus on predestined. That's a word that in some circles, some Christian circles is, is like a curse word. You don't talk about it. We don't acknowledge it. Um, but that's not what I want to do. I want to acknowledge it. And I want to talk about it because God's word says it. And God's word talks about it. And far from it being a point of controversy and division, this is really meant to be a, a humbling point that, that brings us together. And again, says, wow, thank you, God, for being so good to me because I don't deserve it. So there's two really uh, basic general categories and lots of many categories in between of understanding the relationship between the sovereignty of God that, that God chooses for salvation and the responsibility of human beings. So one side, this is the, the responsibility side, looks at this word predestined and says, God predestines on the basis of knowing of his foreknowledge that he knew that you would choose him in return and so he chose you. So that's the way that one side of this uh, aisle, I guess you could say, understands this truth. As that God looked down the corridor of history, he knew that you would choose him, so he chose you. That's, that's one understanding of predestination. Again, the emphasis here is on the responsibility of humanity. The other side is the sovereignty side that just looks at it and says that God chose because he chose. He chose no reason, no rhyme or reason in me as to why he would have chosen me other than because it, was, it pleased him. It was, it was his delight to choose me to be his son. And in so doing, he chose me, and then the work of the Holy Spirit began to give me a new heart and regenerate and, and provide faith. This, again, is the side of sovereignty. But what I want to make, uh, help us understand and make very clear is that in the Bible, sovereignty and responsibility are not mutually exclusive. They, they are presented as, as two things that are working in concert. And, and that's what I want us to understand. I want us to have a healthy understanding of what the Scripture says, not what one position says or the other position says, but what the Scriptures say. And what the scriptures say is that God is sovereign and humans are responsible, that we will stand before God and we will give an account for our lives, the choices that we made. We don't make choices that we don't want to make. But at the same time, we'll, the reason some of the choices that have been made have been made is because God is sovereign and he draws us in. He draws us to himself. So I found this illustration. Pastor Jason shared with this, this with me uh, many, many years ago, and it really helped me to understand this is a field goal post. I'm not an artist, so please, uh, please give me a little bit of grace. But this is a field goal post in football. So most of us know that how you score through a field goal post is that you kick the ball through the uprights. It doesn't matter if you dink it off one upright and it goes in or you dink it off the other upright and it goes in. As long as it goes through the uprights, you get three points. I think this is a very helpful illustration to understanding the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Because again, the Bible makes it very clear that God is sovereign. So on one side of this, the, the field goal post, the boundary, if you will, is the sovereignty of God. So you have verses like John chapter six, verse 37 and 44, where Jesus himself says, no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him. That God is the one who chooses this. He's the one who draws people to himself. But then on the other side, you have the responsibility of humanity. And you have verses like Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus with his own mouth, he said, repent and believe for the kingdom is at hand. 
that word repent is a command. Like, that's a response. You know, he's saying, you do this. You need, you must do this. And we think about verses like Romans chapter 10, verse nine. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's an emphasis there on the responsibility of humanity. So again, we wanna be people who live and understand and believe the way that the Bible teaches us to believe that God is sovereign and humans are responsible. These are not mutually exclusive and they work in concert with each other. The sovereignty of God in no way negates the responsibility of man and the the choice of man in no way overrides or overshadows the, the sovereignty of God. Where we get ourselves in trouble is when we start to go outside of the field goal posts. When we start to go off, there's another way you can do the same thing with a road. When we start to go outside on one side or the other, that's when we start to get ourselves in trouble. To go outside of the responsibility side is to go to what is really known as humanism. It's a worldview that says, God is detached from everything. I am the one that does it all. There's a, I wrote a quote up there. You might not be able to read it, but it's from a poet. And he said, I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. I used to love that quote until I realized that is not true because that's not what the Bible teaches. The other side is what's known as either fatalism or determinism, that I'm just a robot. And every decision that I make has been predestined and it's been purposed already. And I don't have any, there's no responsibility I have to take for my choices. Whatever happens, it happens because God said it was gonna happen. Again, one side, one side uh, disregards the sovereignty of God. The other side disregards the responsibility of humanity. So as people who wanna be faithful to the gospel, faithful to God's word, we, we affirm the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of humanity. And I know I spent way more time on that than I intended to, uh, but, but we're, not talking about the, we're not talking about how soteriology works. We're, we're not talking about how salvation works. If you wanna talk about that, I would be honored to grab lunch or coffee with you and share with you the understanding that I have come to here. But what we're talking about this morning, again, is not about soteriology and how this works. We're talking about our Father. We're talking about him, experiencing Him as a Father. When we call God our Father, we're not just recognizing his authority. We're, we're, we're talking about our relationship to him. We have a relationship with a Father. And Ephesians 1 tells us that God is our Father because he's adopted us as sons and daughters. We were once orphans, and now we have a home. We were once strangers, but we've been made sons and daughters of the high king of heaven. It's an identity change. It's an identity change, and it comes with a whole host of wonderful blessings and benefits like we've talked about, but it's a challenge sometimes for us to experience this identity as a son. It's a learning process to learn how to be a son, to learn how to be a daughter. I was reading a a blog post from a woman who adopted a a little boy from China, and she was talking about uh, just the wonderful blessings and also the challenges of adoption, specifically for the little boy. And she was talking about, you know, with the little boy, he gets a family. In China, he didn't have a family. He was an orphan. He lived in an orphanage, but now he gets to have a home. He has a mom and a dad who take care of him. He has brothers and sisters he gets to share and fight with and all the things that siblings do because they love each other. He gets to experience those things. But she also talked about the challenges for him to learn how to be a son, to learn how to be a part of their family. Here's what uh, she wrote. For two weeks, we walked everywhere in the fourth largest city in China with a not-so-steady Chinese speaker in tow. I would hold his hand as tight as I could every time he started to stumble, but his instinct was to let go. And as he stumbled, his little hand would go limp and it would slide right out of mine. He had to learn to come to us when he needed something. He had never had anyone to depend on but himself. 
as I read that, I thought, oh my goodness, there's so many of us, myself included, who struggle at times to learn how to be a son. We've been made positionally a son or a positionally a daughter. We don't get to experience God as our father because we don't look to him as a father. And I, and I recognize that for some of us, our experience with our earthly father has made it really difficult for us to see God as a good father. But let me encourage you, let me remind you of what God has done to make us his sons and daughters. Again, we, we said this earlier, that the price for our salvation, the price for us being in the family is that God the Son would give his life so that you and I would be forgiven. You and I would be freed from sin. You and I would be given a membership in the family of God. God gave Christ Jesus, he who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's, that's what he's done for us. And he tells us this in Romans 8.32. The Apostle Paul writes this as a rhetorical question. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So let me encourage you again, if, if you have a hard time experiencing God as your father, maybe you're like me, maybe you're a pretty self-dependent, self-sufficient person, or at least, at least pretend to be. Learn to trust your father. You gotta learn to go to him. And when you go to him, you'll learn that he's a dependable father. That when your hand starts to slip, his hand grabs tighter. Learn to go to your father that when you don't have what you need, that he will provide. Learn to go to your father because he loves you. He wants to protect and provide and encourage and admonish and guide and all these other things that a good father does with his child. It is a joy to be our father's child. We were at staff retreat this weekend um, and that was a refrain that continued to come up over and over uh, as we talked about our stories. What an incredible joy it is to be a child of the father. So let me encourage you this morning to remind yourself of what a joy it is to be a child of your father, because it is. So, so as I close this morning, I wanna kind of bring it all back together. But this is who our father is. He's a generous blesser, a gracious blesser. He's blessed us with redemption. Every blessing that we need for salvation, he has given to us. He's chosen us. He's chosen us so that he might transform us, to make us to be people who are holy and blameless before him. And he's adopted us. At the cost of his own son, he, he adopted us into his family as his children. Why? Why would God do all this? Like what, what reason? If we need any more reason to be humbled and thankful, verse six tells us, he's done this to the praise of his glorious grace so that we would praise God. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved in Christ. So the reason that God has done this is for his praise. It's for his honor. It's for his glory. We certainly get the benefit of it, but it's about him. He's the one that receives the honor. He's the one that receives the, 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 the extolling. He's the one that receives the praise. And so, again, I, I said this earlier, a lot of times when we come to a text, we want to look for an immediate response. Like, how do I put this into play in my life right now? And that's great. That's not this text. This is one of those texts that's meant to just bless your socks off, to hit you so hard with these wonderful truths about God that you can't help but just to say, oh my goodness, thank you, God, for what you've done. And so I want to end today, our time of worship today, by inviting you to stand with me as I read Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is, this, is the psalm that inspired the song, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And I want to encourage you, invite you to read this with me 
If you want to read it audibly, you can. If you want to read it inside in your heart with me, you can. Uh, but I want you just to read this. And, and again, I want this to be our, really our heart's cry as we leave this morning. And again, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you, you don't know God as your father, you've never repented and trusted, I want to invite you to listen to the words of this and to think about, read the rest of Psalm 103 when you get some time and think about what God has done for you. Think about what he wants for your life. He wants you to be blessed in him. So again, I wanna just invite you to join me. Uh, this is the same thing that Paul does. At the beginning of verse three, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. And so we're gonna bless God in return for the way he has blessed us. So verse one of Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Oh God, we have nothing but praise and admiration, adoration, thanksgiving, gratitude. Words fail to accurately convey our love for you because of what you have done for us. And we thank you, God, for these wonderful truths about you. And we thank you that though we can never tr fully understand you, we can know you truly as you've revealed yourself to us. That you are our father. You have adopted us into your family. That we are your children and we have you as our father to protect and provide and encourage. Teach us to be your children. We praise you that you've chosen us. That you're doing this work of transformation in us that before the foundation of the world, you purpose to have us, sinful, selfish, disobedient, rebels like us, you chose us to be yours. Thank you, God. And thank you that you have lavished these blessings on us in Christ Jesus, that you've not withheld, that you're not stingy with your blessings, that you give us all that we need in salvation, but you also tell us in your word, Lord, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. So we thank you, God. Again, words fail to convey the, just the love and the gratitude that we have for you. And we pray, Lord, that as we have read Psalm 103, as we've read your word back to you, praise back to you, that it would have been pleasing in your sight, oh God. I pray for my friends in here this, this morning. It's easy sometimes for us to have identity amnesia, to forget who we are because we forget who you are. Help us, Lord. And may the joy of knowing these truths this week change everything about our lives. As you're conforming us and transforming us 
by the power of the gospel in us and the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may you help us to be people who are shaped to be like Jesus, who live and love and share with others all the wonderful things that you've done for us. Again, God, we, we are just so thankful for you and we bless you and we praise you and we worship you and we adore you. We thank you for all that you have done, for all that you are. We thank you for, most importantly for the gift of grace that comes to us by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's in the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, we pray, amen.